How's your DR plan looking? This week, we get into the nitty-gritty of crafting a DR plan. We'll let you in on key lessons from frontline recoveries gone wrong and done right to make sure that you design for resilience. You may have heard us say before that ransomware has made DR no longer an option. At one point, you might have been able to get away with thinking that a disaster might not happen to you. But a cyber attack? It's not a matter of if, but when. So let's help you get ready. We want you to be able to design a DR plan that can withstand a cyber attack or any other type of disaster. That's because on this podcast, we like to turn backup system admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, and I have with me a guy who I think is going to be super excited about the new Tesla, what what, what do they call it, the holiday update persona? I think it's called, yeah, the holiday update. Because you're all about the autopilot. Yeah, so I <laughs> couldn't care less when the updates roll out because, as you well know, I don't really use the features on my car. <laughs> Unlike you, <laughs> you're a bit of a Luddite when it comes to uh, uh, this incredibly advanced piece of technology that you have available to you. Yeah, I just don't. I, I've built software before. I don't trust engineers all that much. So you have to pardon me if I don't trust, say, the car driving itself. <sighs> so, so boring. Me, I got the new update, and uh, within minutes, I was literally out there testing the new features. And of so, course, you were. Uh, yeah, uh, both the good and the kind of annoying new updates. We don't want to get into that. Um, we want to just jump right into. I want to jump right into saying that something else stinks, uh, and that is apparently based on the the reviews that we're getting. This new, we, we talked previously about the new Windows 11 backup tool. Apparently, I, I looked at three or four different articles and they all kind of trashed it. Um, the, the, the biggest thing, I, I'd say the two biggest things that were, you know, that they dinged it for. One is it only knows how to backup to OneDrive. Uh, that's number one. And number two, there's just this assumption that you're living 100% in the Microsoft app store world. And that if you're the, so you can select, for example, you can select specific apps to back up, but you can only select apps that are in the app store and not all apps are in the app store. Uh, and that'll probably actually go down soon. There's, there's all these app store uh, lawsuits that are happening right now. <laughs> Google lost a big one. Apple won a big one. So, you know, it, at some point I, I think that, the app stores that we know it today are not, you know, sort of that that stranglehold that they have. It's going to yeah. go away. So it seems weird that Microsoft is building a tool that, but but I don't know. Entirely. So my mom recently got a new Android phone, and I was in charge because I'm tech support for her of migrating from her right. old phone to a new phone. I have to say, even on Android, they don't do a great job of my. So they will reinstall the apps from your app store, which makes sense. 
But even right. recovering your data, unless you've done certain things beforehand, it's not actually able to recover the application to the state it was in before. An example is WhatsApp. Unless you explicitly tell WhatsApp to back up and it uploads to your Google Drive and then it's able to restore on the new phone or recover, I should say, on the new phone, you don't actually get your WhatsApp right. messages to come across. Yeah, that's weird. Um, Same thing with so Apple. you're saying that... Are you saying that that everybody stinks with with? Uh, but that's a that's a that is the fault of the app developer, but right. But, but, uh, that's, but that's sort of they both have that weird world where the apps live in their own world, and the apps you yeah. can't back up the apps in the same way, right? Yeah. But I think that's the same thing that you run into with this Windows PC or Windows backup, right? It's apps sort of live in their own world, and therefore you can't expect the state of it to come completely back up when you try to restore to another PC. Same uh, argument. Sure. Yeah, same <laughs> argument. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, I guess I think the criticism was not that it didn't handle the App Store apps well. It's that there are apps that are not in the App yeah. Store, especially on a more mature box Apple. like Windows or Mac. Yeah. versus like the the iPhone. That's true. Uh that that you know that they don't it's like oh what what app we don't know about yeah. you know we don't know anything about that app. But uh but then the other criticism that it only backs up to OneDrive and then the backups intermingle somehow with the with the stuff that's in OneDrive they yeah they just so, nobody seemed to like. It, yeah. But. So I will say also for WhatsApp on an iPhone you can only back up to iCloud. That's the only source it supports. It's not anything else. So not saying that Microsoft did the right thing with just going to OneDrive and it could have, like you said, right. had a better experience, but it's not unheard of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it just goes back to our, you know, our friend Daniel's thing, you know, about, about um, the, basically the consumer, the, the ability to back up consumer stuff just, just stinks Sucks. in general. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you want to talk about this, um, this U.S. and Australia uh, warning? Yeah. So, yeah, this just came out, what, last week? Oh, no, today. Actually, today is December 19th. So it just came out, and it is talking about a ransomware group called the Play Ransomware Group and talking about how they're still active. They've had sort of 300 attacks since June of 2022, and they sort of are talking about what you should be doing and how they currently exploit the environments and what you can do to protect yourself from being exploited. Um, Curtis, I know you were looking through it and you're like a lot of what they were, how they got into systems. A lot of it is kind of old issues. <laughs> that, that part, when I was looking at the actual report, they're like, this is this group and they're really bad. And they're, you know, and they're, you know, and I, and I get that. I'm glad that they're warning people. Apparently they use double extortion, which, you know, as, as you know, it's really difficult to deal with. Uh, but when they literally talked about how they gained initial, the initial uh, access, it's all via stolen credentials and um, uh, exploits that have been available for at least a year, or they've been fixed at least a year. One of them was the NotPetya attack was five <laughs> years ago. Um, and the, and then also using things that we talk about like RDP uh, you know, you know, the RDP that's, that is on by default the internet. and that it's available, that available to the internet. Yeah. 
so like I just I just if if people would just if people would just listen to this podcast for some <laughs> and just do what we say. Like we're not even like I don't consider myself a security expert, but I will say this article which we'll link to in the um you know, it says a lot of the same stuff that we say, right? You know, they talk about you know, obviously having a data recovery plan, right? Obviously, yep. the, you know, obviously we're fans of that. Uh, then, you know, have good MF- passwords, have MFA, yep. uh, and then keep the, the operating systems up to date, right? Um, and th- here's another one that we talk a lot about, about segmenting networks. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, basically... Everything doesn't need access to everything else. So segment your network. So in case something gets hit, it doesn't take out your entire network and can traverse laterally through your environment and attack all your systems. So you really want to firewall off certain segments so they're not all able to see each other unless they have to. Yeah, and you can, and again, I'm not a network uh, person, but I believe that you can put like laptops, you can put laptops on a VLAN and you can configure that VLAN in such a way that the laptops can't, cannot see each other. Yep. Um, if, if that's possible, because they don't need to, right? Yep. Laptops do not need to see each other. Uh, at least 99.9% of them don't, right? Yep. And if they do need to see each other, the question is why, and then figure out if there's a different way to do that, right? Yep. And, uh, and, and in then, fact, go ahead. And for a lot of that, actually, you don't even need to use a VLAN. A lot of access points, especially corporate-based access points, they allow you to sort of isolate guests on the Wi-Fi network. So you can have that same functionality without necessarily having to do VLANs or segmentation to protect within each of the devices in the network. Yeah. And, And then they've got more advanced stuff. They talk about monitoring for abnormal activity filtering the network traffic and, and validate security controls. Um, you know, those are a little bit higher level, but honestly, I think they would stop 90 to 95% of most attacks if they just did the things that we've already talked about. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah. Anyway, that is the news of the week. As you know, on each episode, we like to, dive deep into one topic. This topic that I want to start with this week is way too big for one episode. <laughs> and it's way so too big for like take, 10 episodes. A few episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It, and it's super, super important. And in fact, I, I can't think of like of all the topics that we talk about. I know sometimes I, I say this, but like considering what's happening these days, would you not agree that this is like really, really important? Yep. Yes. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're not thinking about this, you have issues. <laughs> you you have issues. Yeah. Or you have problems. So I what we're it. talking? What's that? You have problems. Yeah. So what we're talking about this week is disaster recovery. Things have really changed, you know, since back in the day, right? <laughs> so. A hundred years ago, you know, when I started this, my DR plan at, at this $35 billion corporation, our DR plan was a box of tapes and some and some procedures on how to read those tapes. Which may or may not have worked the, the, all the time. Which may or may not have worked, right? Um that that just doesn't fly anymore, right? And there were a lot of companies who their DR plan wasn't even as good as that. Basically, they they 
Well, first off, there were a lot of people that just didn't send their tapes off site. I, I don't I pity the fool that didn't do that. But <laughs> but there were plenty of people who their entire DR plan was I put my tapes in a box and I send them to Iron Mountain. That's it. Yep. Right. And that's never been a good DR plan. <laughs> what do you think? It's it's better than nothing, <laughs> right? Yes, good, good, better, best. Yes. Right? We talk about that a lot, right? It's good, better, best. Yeah, right. But, but you it start is not where you got to crawl before you can walk, right? Yeah. But I would also say, in some cases, maybe that is acceptable, where you're okay with it taking two, three weeks potentially to bring yourself back up from a disaster. That's yeah, going to the good, yeah. right? Yeah. That, that, yeah. So if, if you have an RTO that's measured in weeks and a really patient customer base and management chain, yep. <laughs> that perhaps, perhaps that's sufficient. It probably isn't. Yeah. But the um and also it was a very it was a very different risk profile back then if you didn't live in tornado alley or if you didn't central. live in yeah florida and or california and earthquake central you you this is also remember you you have to go back this was a time before we had uh, terrorist attacks in the us yeah it was it was a very very different time so we we've moved past that we moved to a point where you started to say, well, maybe if I don't live in Tornado Alley, and again, this is a very US-centric part of the world, but it's what I know geographically. I'm sure there are plenty of examples elsewhere in other countries. You might have started to develop the idea of like, well, I don't live in a place like New York or near the Pentagon. I'm probably not going to be the subject of a um, like a, a terrorist attack. So you, you still might have had a, a similar, uh, felt that you were under a similar, similar risk profile. profile as we were 30 years ago. Yep. But then one little thing happened. What, what do you suppose that is? Yeah. So I know it's one of our favorite topics on this podcast, right? And that's ransomware. Yeah. So suddenly the thing that, probably wouldn't happen to you very much could happen to you. And we look at the, all the statistics, they're horrible, right? Every, every survey of, of hundreds of companies come back. Uh, you know, uh, I remember when I worked for Druva, right? That, that we did a survey and I, I think it came back. It was like, I thought it was 50-50 of people that had been attacked. Yeah. And of the people that had been attacked, it was something like 60% had paid the ransom. Yep. But I've seen surveys, other surveys and more recent surveys where the numbers are more like 60-70% of people have been successfully attacked by ransomware. I think the Veeam and study. Unfortunately, the percentages that of um yeah, the Veeam study, right. The yeah. Veeam study is a great one. And and that and and again, I want to reiterate that was a like a double blind study. It wasn't of Veeam customers. It was of, you know, many, many companies that um, didn't know that Veeam was sponsoring the survey. And it came out really scary of the number of people that were attacked and the number of people that still paid the ransom and the number of people that lost data. Yeah, that was a scary um, one is the people who couldn't recover their environments. 
Yeah, and so so I would say that uh, DR has moved from a should have to a have to have. Yeah. What, is there is there is there better words for that? Yeah. No, I I agree. I I think also like we talked about before, it's you need to have everyone should be thinking about what data and services do they need disaster recovery for at what level. Because also, right. I think environments have gotten very complicated versus what they had back then. And I know we'll talk about this in a little bit about data centers and other types of environments. But back then, you just had to worry about a data center. Now I have data spread throughout the world in different services, some owned by me, some not owned by me, some with different levels, like maybe the stuff that I work for internal projects is our priority in terms of getting it back up and running. And so I can wait longer versus like sales and financial records, right? I need to keep the business going and keep my customers happy. And so that becomes more critical for me as well. Yeah, agreed. It's just, um, I think everybody needs something. The, the question is in terms of what your, so that's the, that's the, that's sort of the bad news. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the, bad, the, the bad news. The good news is, and, and we'll talk about this in later episodes, not in this episode, but the good news is DR is way easier than it was back in the day, yeah. right? A, a million times easier. And the more virtualized you are, the more that is true. And the uh, there's a different thing as to how much you're using SaaS and PaaS, but uh, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But I, I think DR is way easier than, than it used to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things I like to I like to bring up, and of course, what we're doing here is we're, we're as we've been doing for uh, our Backup to Basics series, we've been working our way through my book, Modern Data Protection, holding up a copy for the camera uh, for the, you know, a couple of dozen of you that watch on, <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> Most everybody listens to this on the, on the audio format, but uh, for those of you that want to see us on the Shining see our shining faces, you can go to the YouTube channel uh, by the same name. And um, we're working through the DR chapter. And there, there's this, I have this uh, sidebar called excuses for days. And these are things <laughs> that I heard from people back in the day when I was being a, a consultant and I would work with these people. Um, if our building blows up, I'll probably be dead and won't care. <laughs> right. Um, if our town is destroyed by a disaster, I'll be a lot more concerned about saving my family and my house and won't care about any DR plan. Um, and the, this, this is, if, if the company is destroyed by a terrorist attack, I won't have a job, so I won't care. <laughs> wow. Uh, these are reasons that actual people that, you know, I was working with when I would say, what's the DR plan? They're like, we don't know. We don't yeah. care. Yeah, it's um, interesting, yeah. and I'm sure those excuses wouldn't fly <clears throat> today. Yeah, um, unfortunately, these were excuses from like senior management. <laughs> oh boy, uh, yeah, um, but yeah, so ransomware has really changed everything because it significantly changes the chances that you would re need to recover your entire company. Yeah. Right. It, it used to be that while you might not be subject to a terrorist attack or you might not be subject to a flood or an earthquake, 
you might be subject to a fire that takes out a server, yeah. right? And so you were worried primarily about protecting a server. Now you really have to be concerned with making sure you protect or have the ability to recover your entire environment, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, any comments on that? Yeah. And I think going back to talking about the entire environment piece, people develop business assets everywhere, right? It's in SaaS applications, be it Google Drive or Microsoft 365. Um, it is on their laptop or desktop because these systems are now so powerful versus before you had to have dedicated servers for running these instances. Uh, you might have data sitting in an AWS EC2 instance with EBS storage and stored in object store in AWS S3 that you're using for your application because that's just how you've built it because there's new technologies available or you might be using serverless technologies. And so there are all these different pieces, going back to what you said about your environment, it's no longer just restricted to your data center. It's everywhere. And so you need to start thinking about all of that data and how do you bring back everything you need to get your business back up and running? Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it, we need to talk about sort of each of those sort of three areas where you might have... Um, computing infrastructure that needs to be restored after an attack. And we're going to include, you know, every time we talk about this, we'll, we'll include all of the different things that might take your environment out, right? So let's start with the the good old-fashioned data center. There, there are still plenty of companies who run their environment on data center. And every time something goes on with the cloud, some sort of cloud outage, Yep, I watch online on Reddit or on the comments on the register. It's always, I told you not to be in the cloud. The cloud sucks. The leaky cloud. There's a guy that's a security guy that he refers to it as the leaky cloud. And, uh, and I'm not going to make that point. But my point is there are plenty of people who still have sizable data centers that need to be restored. What do you think, what's your feel for today's data center and the percentage uh, to which it is, or the degree to which it is virtualized? What do you think? So I would probably say 99% of a physical data center is probably virtualized. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and, and Maybe not 99, and because, but maybe 90. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because how you address the disaster recovery of a virtualized data center is very different than the way you uh, you do of a physical data center. Yeah, because the the challenge really is um, the, the the challenge is not just where do you get the infrastructure. The challenge is how you get an image of the operating system not just the data, because you need to restore the server. And it's a lot more challenging. It's, it's, not, it's not impossible, yeah. but it's a lot more challenging to do what we call a bare metal recovery of a physical server. It is doable, right? Um, I know there's plenty of server or plenty of products. Um, you know, I've been spending some time with a company that works with Veeam and does DR lately. And they... Um, they can use any, you know, Veeam does backup of a physical server and 
they're able to use that and do restorative physical mm -hmm. server. It's just more challenging, yeah. right? Um, and if you are a virtualized environment, you need to address the restore of all those images at a virtualized level, right? You yep. need to cater it to the, the hypervisor that you happen to be using. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the hypervisors that are out there? Yeah. So there are a lot. Um, the most popular one, I would say, or prevalent one is, do we call it Broadcom now or is it called VMware? <laughs> it's still called VMware. <laughs> right. As so, of a couple days ago, Broadcom's the owner, but it's still called VMware. So VMware, right, which is very popular. But there are other ones coming up. So you also have Microsoft with Hyper-V, which is available right. for any system that <clears throat> runs Windows, right? It's provided free of charge, uh, almost free of charge, I believe. Right. And it's available for everyone. So that's another popular one. You also have other ones that come up like Zen. You also have Nutanix with AHV. And so there are a lot of virtualization platforms out there that people use. We could also start to talk about uh, Kubernetes, right? Which to some extent is also virtualization, right? Containers and yeah, Docker. Yeah, it's sort of virtualization on steroids, Yeah, right? Yeah, so Kubernetes, containers, Docker, right? All of those I would also classify as sort of virtualized environments. Yeah, and I would make the same statement that I said there. You need to have a Kubernetes-centric disaster recovery plan for that part of your environment. You can't just, well, obviously in that case, you can't just pretend like it's regular servers. But you, you have to. Uh, with, with, with regular hypervisors, you can kind of pretend like they're physical servers and you can do things, but generally speaking, you're going to want to do something that works with that hypervisor. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to again cover this more with the uh, data centers in the you know in later episodes. But you know you got to find a place. You, you if you've lost your data center, depending on what your disaster is, you, the first thing you got to do is replace the the hardware. hardware yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's going to that could be one of your biggest challenges. But I, I think the answer to that Which, for most people is probably the cloud. Well, and. I don't. I just read an article the other day. Basically, with all of AI being very popular now, even coming across servers, I think Dell was saying that it's a thirty-nine wait, uh, thirty-nine week wait time in order to get a server with the built-in AI capabilities, with the AI hardware. Thirty—that's like almost a year, dude. Yeah. Wow. So if you Good are, time. yeah. So if you are looking for hardware, make sure you're planning up front for these DR scenarios rather than realizing, hey, I hit an issue, I need to fail over. Let me go procure hardware because procuring hardware is going to be a good chunk of time. You want to make sure you have that ahead of time before the DR scenario yeah. hits. Yeah. Can I, can I poke fun at you a little bit? Yeah. Is there any way to not plan up front? Can you plan in the back? Mm. You can't. <laughs> yeah, you can plan. You can plan on the side. You can plan on the side. <laughs> plan on the side. I just, I just thought it was funny that you say you should plan up front. I'm like, well, when else do you plan? You can plan anyway, last minute. I love you, man. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you can plan last minute. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about the I. I, I always want to think. You know, IaaS, IaaS infrastructure as a service. This is. 
basically, you know, things like EC2, uh, you know, uh, hype, I'm sorry, um, uh, Azure VMs, GCP VMs that, you know, and this sort of stuff. And then also PaaS, which is very close to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not everybody gets the difference between the two. Basically, a platform as a service is where they, they basically give you the entire platform and basically like an application, you're, you're going to use RDS is a platform as a service, right? So then you're, you, you've got access to a, um, to a database that you can use. You don't have to maintain the infrastructure, even the server. Like in the case of EC2, you have to maintain the server, the VM, the, the OS, yeah. and the application. In the, in the case of a pass, you don't have to maintain any of that. You just use the application. But in most, in both cases, a DR, it's very different talking about the DR of an EC2 or uh, a RDS type database. What, let, let's just talk about this it? for a minute. Um, but is it? What? But is it? Well, so here's, here's the thing. So this is a, um, w- with a caveat, right? Again, we're talking about risk profiles, right? Mm-hmm. Chances are you're either going to be dealing with the restore of your entire um, cloud environment in another area of that same cloud, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Or you are going to be restoring your entire cloud environment maybe to the same area, maybe to a different cloud provider. The restore is kind of the same. It's just you're going to direct it to a different okay. target. You're not most likely, you could, this is part of your DR plan, but you most likely are not going to be, requ- like the entire, again, with caveats, <laughs> the entire AWS infrastructure is probably not going to go down. The entire Azure infrastructure is probably not going to go down, at least not for, a period of time that will make you that will for it to make sense to activate your DR plan. Azure, I, I can remember when Azure went down a few years ago. I don't know if you remember this when they forgot to renew their their, uh, certificate. their certificate. Yeah, <laughs> oopsies! Right, they fixed it. Right, it was back up, and I mean it was it was a major disruption. But it's not something that takes your DR environment, right? Yeah. Um, even if an entire region goes down of your cloud provider, it, it, it probably won't take down a second region. Depends. So depends. Going to... De- okay. Because there All have right. been cases. I'm just saying statistically speaking. Yeah. Yes. Depending on how they're ahead. doing there their services. Cases. Yeah. Depending on how they do their services and if there's any dependencies on that region that is down. So there have been cases where yeah. authentication or other things stop working because the main region yeah. where that was running went down and things weren't able to fail over properly or couldn't be operational. So I would say that you That's need to exception. have these conversations, yeah. right? And you need to, I think you should solve for the thing that's most likely to happen first before you solve for the maybe, yeah. 
you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda yeah. so, thing that probably won't happen to you. So I think at some point we are going to be talking about testing DR and other things later in this right. episode or in these series on DR. But one thing I did want to point out since we were talking about AWS and region failing and all the rest at their latest reInvent, they actually announced a tool that you can simulate regional failures and other types of infrastructure failures in AWS to be able to check and see what happens to my environment when that happens. God, that's really scary. (laughs) Um, So literally take your environment down? I don't think it actually physically takes your environment down, but it allows you to simulate what would happen. Okay. All right. I got to check that out. That sounds really interesting. It is called. Um, yeah, it can simulate major outages. Uh, what is it? It's called the fault injection service. It's like the chaos monkey. Yes. It's like chaos monkey. All right. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying here is generally speaking, the most likely thing you're no- going to need to restore is your entire environment within the same exact infrastructure, probably in a different place, Yep. right? Because the most likely thing that will happen in a cloud world is you receive some sort of uh, digital, you know, cyber attack. And you've got to restore that data in another region. Mm -hmm. Does that seem fair? I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've got a lot of things built in to protect you against other things. We know that sometimes those things don't work. Yeah. Right. OVH fire, OVH fire. Um, So I'm just saying most likely thing that would happen given everything that we're talking about. And I do think that if you are planning, as I've already said, you should plan for the most likely thing first, solve that first before you move on to the less likely. Now it's just, because writing it in a different area is probably slightly easier. Make sure you're doing all the things you need to do to make sure that's actually feasible because you might need to worry about IP connectivity and other things. So yeah, my services may be up, but no one can actually get to anything in the DR site. Exactly. Exactly. Um, We've talked about that in previous DR episodes. So the next is SAS. And this is a a little bit different in that I do think it's highly possible that a region could go down of an application and that application could become unavailable to you for some period of time because it's happened. And you, it's not, SAS is different. You're up, you're up the creek at you, that point, right? Yeah, you're you are <laughs> up the creek because it's not like it's like if let's say you have Office 365, right, or Microsoft 365. It's not like you could take your backup of Microsoft 365, which I know you're doing. If you because you listen to this podcast, you know you should back up SaaS. It's not like you could take that backup and then very easily. Uh, migrate to Google Drive, whatever is Gmail, Gmail. Yeah. Yeah, You can't take a backup of Microsoft 365 and migrate to Gmail. I don't even know if that's possible or if anyone has done that, by the way, if anyone's done that, I'd love to hear from you. (laughs) But um, the, your most likely 
again, your most likely scenario that you're going to be using your backups for is you're restoring after some sort of cyber attack. Yeah. Because you do go ahead. Because for that SaaS service, like Microsoft 365, they are responsible for the availability of the service. So if something happens to Microsoft 365 in the US West region, right? Microsoft has SLAs and infrastructure to make sure that the Microsoft 365 service is available in, say, the U.S. East Coast region or whatever else it takes. Right, right. And so they they will be doing everything they can to get the service back up and running. You may, depending on what took the service down in, in the beginning, you may have to restore your data after that service. Imagine, imagine the news story that would be if if a region of Microsoft 365 went down and then they go, okay, we've got the service back up now. All you guys restore your backups now. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the the news that that would be? I mean, I mean, something very similar happened to Rackspace, right? Yep. It was, it was, it wasn't Microsoft 365, it was hosted exchange, but they basically they they said, look, you know, we had a large ransomware attack. Our entire environment is FUBAR. Uh, if you don't know what that means, Google it. The um, And then they basically migrated users over to Microsoft 365, but they migrated them with blank accounts. And then they brought the old email back in in a way that you could download it and import it. But, you know, it was... It, it was months yeah. before people got their data back. Yeah. And so I wonder, right. Curtis, as we're talking about disaster recovery, maybe it's important, at mm-hmm. least on the SaaS side, to differentiate the types of uh, scenarios that you're recovering from. Because I think mm-hmm. a ransomware scenario is very different because a SaaS provider is probably going to be like, that's not my problem, versus an infrastructure failure that the SaaS provider is recovering from, right? Which is probably, they are going to help you with that. Like they will deal with everything. Wait, say that last part again. So who who is going to help? So if say Microsoft 365, if their infrastructure goes down because of an infrastructure issue. Right. Yes. 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 They are, yeah. yeah, they are going to help you out. They're going to recover their infrastructure with hopefully all of your data because they're giving you the service, right? And it's an infrastructure failure. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I really don't. I, Do you think there, you're still there's on your nothing own? to indicate? There's nothing in your contract to indicate that they're doing anything to bring your data back. Mm. So in the event of a catastrophic effort. failure of Microsoft 365. We do know, for example, that they do have delayed replicated copies of Exchange, but like we, we don't we don't know. Yeah. There's nothing in the contract to specify that in a catastrophic failure of Microsoft 365 that they will restore their entire environment, which brings your data yeah. with it. There's nothing to indicate that in your contract. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, there's no guarantee. They will try their best effort. But if right. best effort is not good enough for your company to survive, you should probably have other alternatives. Yeah. Best effort that's not documented yeah. <laughs> with the possibility of nothing. Uh, yeah, definitely, 
which is why I think everybody should be backing up 365. Yeah. But but each of these different things, you have to look at your part of your, your environment. You have to look at the things that are most likely to take out that entire environment, which has to always start with, at this point, some sort of cyber attack. And then the second one is some sort of um, infrastructure, some failure. type of physical disaster. Um, yeah, server failure as well, right? So, yeah. so literally, equipment failure can take out a, a, an environment. But then you talk about fires, floods, earthquakes, terrorist actions. These all take out sort of the physical infrastructure and the data along with it. So you just need to look at those things and look to see which you think is most likely to happen. Um, and then start there yeah. uh, and then work your way back. I would just add to that, Curtis, that your business probably encompasses data across all three of these areas. And so it's not necessarily going to be a one size fits all solution that you're going to leverage. No. So make no. sure you're thinking through it, understand where your data is, and then go from there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that's that's the key to anything I think that we talk about is the first thing that we talk about is inventory, right? Knowing where everything is, right? I, I just published the the uh, copy data management um, episode, and the step number one is knowing where everything is, yeah. and uh, step number two I think is determining your risk profile, determining the things that are likely to happen to your uh, infrastructure and then determining the possibility uh, of each of those things. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I mean, and your risk profile is going to be different if you live in a metropolitan area versus, or if you live in a place like New Orleans that is under sea level and, um, the, your, your, your risk profile is going to be different. You have to take yeah. it, all those things into account. Yeah. I, and I think you also have to take into account compliance mm -hmm. because there may be things that if you're, if you are the type of organization that is regulated by another, by a set of regulations, there may be things that you are forced by regulation to be able to restore in a, you know, under any circumstance. And so, you you might not have the option like earlier right i was saying yeah. you know do the thing the most important things first you also have to make sure that you're doing the things that are covered under regulation yeah. what there is one thing that i think we did not touch upon which actually okay. may not be in your book um but what do you think about data that lives on people on users and devices that is not synced to the cloud right we haven't i yeah, know we I haven't don't, touched on that but hopefully yeah. you are doing a backup of some sort and maybe in a later chapter we can talk yeah. more in detail about this but i think that's also another thing to consider yeah i don't think of that perhaps i should think of that when i think about a disaster recovery the um obviously i think that any data wherever it resides needs to be backed up. And I do strongly believe in backing up in devices. I'm backing up this in device, yeah. right? And the, uh, to the cloud for the record, um, <laughs> cause I, cause that's, the, I, I just think that's the best option yeah. for an absent minded person like me. 
the um, I just I don't think of that because I think where it'll I'm, come I, into there's is nothing with, I have against of it. I just don't yeah. think of it, right? I, I, but I, there I, could be a mass yeah uh, cyber attack that takes out all of your infrastructure, and you do need to be able to restore that. Yeah. yeah, and especially when it comes to the restore aspects, right, or the recovery aspects, it's how do I now bring all my users back online so they can continue functioning and the business can continue functioning after an attack. For instance, if I was during the pandemic, right, you had a bunch of people working remotely. And they had data and sure, we could say the data was synced to the cloud. And so it's not as important about the data. It's how do I recover that hardware right after a ransomware attack across my environment? Right. I think those are the sort of things which will become interesting. Yeah, I think I think all of us found out just how much fun it was to do mass orders of hardware during the pandemic. Yeah, (laughs) it was a very good couple of quarters for Dell and, and Apple, I'm sure. With everybody ordering as much as they ordered. No, it's, I think that's a really that's a really good point. Thanks for that extra um, flavor. Um, all right, well, that's I think I think that's enough as an overview of DR. We got we have plenty more to talk about, but uh, again, you got to first figure out everything that you have. You got to then figure out what your risk profile is and figure out what you're going to tackle first. Uh, from a DR standpoint. And I, I do believe in the concept of low-hanging fruit and grabbing and taking care of that first where you can get success and or where basically tackling the most likely thing to happen first, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for a great conversation. Uh, always a pleasure, Curtis. I like our chats. Me too. And uh, thank you again to our listeners for listening. We'd be nothing without you. That's a wrap. The Backup Wrap-Up is written, recorded, and produced by me, W. Curtis Preston. If you need backup or DR consulting, content generation, or expert witness work, check out BackupCentral.com. You can also find links from my O'Reilly books on the same website. Remember, this is an independent podcast and any opinions that you hear are those of the speaker and not necessarily an employer. Thanks for listening.